Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 206, How to Talk with the Kids About Marriage. Yeah, guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. We're coming at you from the lovely WCSG radio studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my husband and favorite licensed therapist, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, good. I also have with us, uh, we have our friend. We hung out last night to prove our real real friendship. And my wife. And your wife, Kelly. (laughs) She's awesome. Uh, And the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. How are you today? I'm, I'm great. Yeah? After a good hang? Good hang. It was a good hang. It was. Uh, Guys, we are thrilled to have back again to the podcast today, Sam Alberry. I think it's a three-peat. I need to Google uh, us (laughs) to see. I I was saying before we got recording here, the first time I do remember seeing his Star Wars socks, because we must have talked about Star Wars, Matt. I mean... It seems only appropriate. At all right. times. Uh, and then the last time I do know that we talked about his incredible uh, book on uh, why God cares about our bodies. Uh, but he has written a children's picture book on marriage. And we cannot have too many children's books on marriage. In fact, I think between all of us in this room right now, we've thought of two <laughs> that we appreciate. And one of them is Sam's. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about this book, why he wrote it, and how we as parents, caregivers, pastors, and mentors can help put a solid foundation down when it comes to marriage, sexuality, gender for the next generation when, when we're talking about these things. So Sam, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad to have you. All right, now to understand a little bit more of who Sam is, he's a pastor, apologist, and speaker. He is the author of a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? What God Has to Say About Our Bodies? And uh, like Lori said, today's focus book, God's Signpost, How Marriage Points Us to God's Love. Mm. Yes, and we want to get to know Sam a little bit better, as well as some of our listeners, by turning to the question of the week from last time, which was... <laughs> what non-word word do you use often and what does it mean? Or what word do you use incorrectly in a consistent sentence? For example, I say blurf <laughs> often as an expression of disdain or exasperation. Or do your one you've wanted to do on the podcast when you do all the time. The one that I, the pom, 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 that one. So, you know, on like the background of maybe a rap song, there's going to be like, burr, 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 burr. yeah, it's, just it is a that... call to excitement. Yes. He says it. A lot. <laughs> so, Sam, please join us in our ridiculousness and tell us, please, do you have a word you use? That's- well, I, I was trying to think about this, and I have, I do have some made-up words I use. Some of them <gasps> are are substitutes for for words that we shouldn't use if in moments of peak frustration. Peak um, frustration. For yeah. example, anytime I'm driving in Tennessee. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't know. I don't know where these words came from. And my fear is that they do exist in some other language and are incredibly offensive. And someone's going to then discover this, and um, I'll have to think of another word. But um, <laughs> "shoop" for some reason is a is a is a word that I use to express frustration. Shoop. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's probably a, a mashup of other things. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and there are some words I've inherited from my parents, which I think derive from either what me or my brother could say when we were toddlers. So mm-hmm. we still occasionally refer to breakfast as fuffets. Oh, um, whether that was me or my brother's attempt at saying breakfast, I don't know. But we—that's just stayed in the family. We, you know, mm-hmm. talk about fuffets. 
Um, so there's there's a few things like that that are hangovers from toddler speak. That's adorable. Yes. I saw similar things from uh, listener answers. They they said a similar sort of scenario, like we used to say this as kids, and now it's part of the family lore. <laughs> but we yeah. did, you guys, for the first time, I think maybe ever, we have three audio responses. Yes. All three of us did our homework, and we <laughs> heard from all three of you. So, Steve, who are we hearing from first? Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll just play this one that I selected that I thought was really good. My name is Laura from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And our city, like many others, has taken to converting traditional intersections with four-way stops or stoplights into roundabouts. Well, our family calls them whoop-de-doos. <laughs> so examples would be, man, I had to take two whoop-de-doos to get to that store. Or you'll need to go three-quarters of a whoop-de-doo and turn on to Main Street. <laughs> I like that. So instead of a roundabout... We're going to do a whoop-de-doo. A whoop-de-doo. Three quarters of a whoop-de-doo and turn right on Main Street. That <laughs> yeah. was adorable. No, All adorable. right, play the next one. My name is Simeon, and I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And my favorite th words to make up are, as a barista, I get to do drinks like um, dirty chai lattes. And I love to, when we're like making them, I'll tell my coworkers that we have a dirty chate or a... Um, <laughs> small mocha and which would be smoka and so that's those <laughs> are my favorite words to make up i felt like that's we awesome. would do that in our house yes. oh definitely would you do that in your house oh too? well my sister is always mashing up words okay and she's on the radio with me and oh, sometimes no. it you know it slips it in slips <laughs> like uh that's not a real word <laughs> yeah i appreciated that thanks simeon and how about you matt who's did you pick yeah i would really liked what andy had to say off of facebook Hi guys, my name is Andy, and my non-word is bodagget. So it means somebody who's doing something that doesn't make sense. Like, if you saw somebody dripping their own ice cream onto their shoes, you might say, wow, what a bodagget. <laughs> I feel like, I think that that might be in Napoleon Dynamite. I a think bodagget? he might call his brother a bodagget, yeah. So it's like you're making a... Yeah. A, a fool of yourself. A fool of yes. yourself. Uh, you guys are funny. You yeah. listeners crack us up, and I am super thankful. We were getting tons of uh, answers recently. Steve's actually going to start hitting them up on the air. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll get some people from WCSG Radio. But guys, you can follow me on the socials. I post those probably 24 hours before we record, if we're lucky. So thank you so much to the three of you for your quick turnaround. But speaking of turnaround, let's turn it back to Sam. Uh, we've Is that asked called a whoop de doo Let's do a whoop-de-doo <laughs> to Sam. <laughs> and uh, we're going to ask you this question we've asked before, but we have new listeners. And I always love being refreshed by people's testimony through this question through that we copy-paste from uh, your late friend, Tim Keller. Uh, so we ask every guest this. Uh, if the gospel is, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How was that gospel first good news for you, Sam? And how is it still? Yeah, I love that articulation of it. Um, yeah, I, I first heard and believed the gospel when I was just turning 18. Um, and I, I had not been a rebellious teenager. Um, I had been, you know, by by many metrics, a, a pretty... I'm, I'm, I don't know, my parents might roll their eyes hearing this, but I, I think I was a fairly straightforward teenager. I didn't <laughs> drink or smoke or do drugs or any of the things that many of my peers did. And I was proud of myself for that. Mm. Um, 
I was obnoxious. Mm. So I, coming into hearing about the Christian faith, I was coming into it thinking, well, I'm I'm a moral person, I'm upright, so this will be very affirming of me. Um, so when I first heard the gospel, I began to realize that I didn't know the God who made me, mm. and I figured that was probably an issue. Mm. Um, and the more I began to hear the message of Jesus, the more I realized he was undoing my heart. He was just showing me uncomfortable things about my own heart. Mm. And I remember getting to the point where I thought, well, if I'm if I'm the kind of person he says I am, then my only hope is if he's the kind of person he says he is. Mm. So he laid my heart bare. And I, I love encouraging my friends who aren't Christians. I said, I just defy you to read one of the Gospels and try and keep it at arm's length because you're going to find it reads you. Wow. Um, but I love how Jesus not only diagnoses the issues of our hearts, but he then comes to give us a new heart and to lay down his life for us. So that is that is how I first encountered the gospel. And those two axes of what I'm really like and what he's really like are, are, are growing further and further apart over time in a way that is is just wonderful. Mm. <laughs> so writing a kids book about marriage I, I would imagine is a unique challenge <laughs> uh like how how did you choose the path uh that you did of making this theme signposts uh when you like in the context of of marriage how'd you how'd you come to that kind of way of structuring it yeah well it, it, even 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 backing up from that i i had no intention of writing a children's mm -hmm. book but i kept having parents asking me questions about how do I talk to my kids about same-sex relationships and all these things? And I remember thinking, well, those conversations when they happen will be easier if you've had certain other conversations much earlier on. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are, I think, thoroughly age-appropriate ways of talking about marriage to toddlers that can begin to give children a positive vision of why, why one man and one woman. So I was thinking, someone needs to write a children's book about marriage. So I phoned up a couple of children's authors I knew and said, hey, I've got an idea for you. Why don't you do this? And their response was, oh, I like that idea, but it's your idea, so you should do it. <laughs> and I would say, well, I, I don't know anything about writing for kids. And they said, well, no one does until they do. So hmm. I thought I'd give it a go um, and thankfully had an extremely competent, wonderful editor at mm -hmm. B&H Kids who took my my ideas and showed me better ways of running with them than I had had imagined, uh, not least by saying, just make make the book have one point rather than five or six or however many I was originally planning. <laughs> so that that's how that came about. So the first book, there's there's two books. The, mm. the second comes out, I think, in the in the new year. Oh, uh, the the first book is about why marriage is based about a promise, and the second book is is me trying to sort of do an apologetic for why marriage is between a man and a woman, mm. and not some other combination. Um, so the idea for the first one really was I was I was back in the UK for a season and my dear friends here in Nashville, Ray and Janie Ortland, were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. So I was sending them a long message, just giving them my love and congratulations. And I found myself writing, if marriage points to the gospel, then actually anniversaries might be more significant than weddings hmm. because any anyone can make a promise. Yeah. But actually what we're seeing in anniversaries is someone keeping a promise. Mm -hmm. 
and I, that that then gave me the idea of of maybe that being the the, the basis of the book two, two kids uh visiting their grandparents when it's their 50th wedding anniversary what's the second one about then what's the focus well the second one is the same kids yeah are, are at the beach uh with their with their aunt may and the little lad ethan uh um it's been a while since i've looked at it so i'm trying to remember the details now but he, <laughs> he there's something like hot dogs and donuts for lunch and he decides to put the sugar on the hot dog and the ketchup on the donut and discovers that does not work well. <laughs> um, and that then leads into a whole thing about how certain things are designed to go together. And it's at the beach because the beach is where the land and the sea go together. And because they go together in that way, it's a wonderful environment. So that that's the that's the sort of the gist of the of the second one, just trying to show how God has designed certain things to go together. Um so yeah. I love it. We'll have to get that one too. Our eight-year-old was reading this first one yesterday. I was like, what do you think? And I didn't do any leading questions. She's like, I really like it. So oh, I mean, that's a high praise. High endorsement. <laughs> I'll take that. And and I want to give, you know, so much credit to the to the illustrator because yeah, those those pictures are, are so I wanted a style of illustration that would be bright and colorful and, and a bit goofy. Um, and she's she's just done a wonderful job. So um, yeah, that that accounts for so much. I think of why kids enjoy the, the, this book. Mm. Uh, that's good. Yeah. So you mentioned the there the the focus was trying to to be able to talk to kids about marriage earlier, and and there are some ways, some themes that you put into the book um, to to kind of allow for for people to do that. Can you name specifically some more of those themes and? And then give us kind of the how does that interact with parents or caregivers as they talk, you know, yeah. with their kids about marriage? Yeah. So I'm trying to think what are the what are the key foundational things? And I'm wanting to think of conversations that you have with kids before they've ever heard of sex. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about that. Mm -hmm. But it's trying to lay a framework so that when they do have that conversation or do begin to encounter the whole issue of sexuality. They already have some framework in place within which to think about it. So my my goal is, can we try to teach a vision of marriage that will make sense of the prohibitions that the kids will then grow up to encounter? Yes. Prohibitions about sex outside of marriage or same-sex relationships. Um, because if we start with the prohibitions, it's very hard then to, to make it sound like we're talking about something good. Mm. Um, so good, Sam. So the the initial thought was, okay, what are the what are the particular features of Christian marriage I'm, I'm wanting to draw out? And the main ones are that it is based on a promise, not just based on a feeling. And the reason it's based on a promise is because it's picturing the kind of promises God has made to us in Christ, mm. um, which then leads to the second part, which is why it's two different but complementary parties that are are making these promises to each other. So that's the big idea is is trying to show why the Christian view of marriage is covenantal and therefore why it's heterosexual. Um, because we're we're running on a very different script in our, our culture today where the redefinition of marriage wasn't that we turned marriage into a same-sex thing. The redefinition of marriage is when we, we turned it from being a covenant to a contract. Mm where we basically said marriage is about celebrating mutual romantic fulfillment. And the moment anyone isn't feeling that, they can simply step aside from it. Um, that was the 
that was the fundamental redefinition of marriage that then made subsequent changes inevitable. Mm. So I'm just trying to sort of peel back behind all of that and recover a, uh, I hope, a, a more biblical understanding of marriage. I saw you did throw in a line there about singleness, and I was like, I can if I was to write a kid's book, I would want to be like, and here's why it's so important. And But you you did just like, hey, and God doesn't, the language you had, I wish I had the book right here with me. I meant to bring it. Uh, you said, God doesn't, um, you didn't use the word call. He doesn't have everyone get married, but it was more like God's invitation as opposed to someone's choice. Was that hmm. intentional? Like you were like, God is the one who calls us into marriage or singleness. So was it intentional to have God be the focus? I can imagine the answer. But then too, you did put singleness in there, which how did you wrestle with that? Yeah, well, I needed to, because if I didn't, the message of the book might sound like um, if you're not married, you are not experiencing anything of God's love or able to reflect anything of God's love. Right. So I needed to put that caveat in there. Um, and I, I wanted to frame it in, in the way that I did because um, because so much of this is about what God has designed. Yeah. He, he came up with the idea of marriage. He is the one who's embedded it in human culture. Um, it, it felt like I, I wanted to make sure God got the credit for singleness as well, that that wasn't just a, a failing on our part. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I kind of put it that way around so that people wouldn't feel singleness is less approved of by God. Mm. Okay, let's pivot a bit. Do a whoop do whoop I can't remember it anymore. Anyway, let's talk about your childhood. It sounds like you, I don't know if you grew up in a faith background or not, but let's, if you could grew, grow up in the ideal childhood, you'd still end up Pastor Sam, uh, apologist, author, uh, and still even experience the same-sex attractions that you've talked about, you've written about. Um, what, what would have been the ideal base to have grown up in? Like what would have been really helpful to hear from your parents uh, in order to thrive in the ways you are now? Yeah, it's it's a hard question to answer because I there's there's nothing I there's lots of things that were, were difficult because that's that's life. Right. There's nothing I want to change because God has used all the different threads of it to bring me to where I am today, and I'm, I'm yeah. very content where I am today. So. Um, but certainly one thing that was was difficult was, and this was to do with the with the culture as much as anything else. Of course. Um, right at the age where I was just beginning to become aware of same-sex attraction, was just beginning to see that I was very different to many of my peers, was going through some experiences of being bullied as well mm. um, around some of those things. Um, it was just a hard thing to talk about. I I didn't know how to talk about it, yeah. so I didn't know how to bring it up to my parents. So they didn't have the opportunity right. of talking to me about it. So I, I would love to have had some voice that said to me at that age, it, it's okay. It's okay to tell people what you're going through. Mm -hmm. um, I, there, no voice existed at, the, at that time right. that I was aware of. Right. So I would have loved a voice that said, "Hey, you can you can tell your mum and dad about this. They'll be fine." Um, or it, it's okay that that you, you're having these feelings. That that's not that does not disqualify you from the human race. It doesn't make you worth less than anybody else. So there was a lot of isolation and loneliness. Um, and what's wrong with me 
experiences that I, I don't want anyone else to go through. Um, and counterintuitive though it is for many of our, our non-Christian friends that the, the gospel is the answer to that. Even though part of the gospel is we're worse than we even thought we were, <laughs> actually the gospel is the answer to self-loathing because it, it, it locates our value in something outside of ourselves you know, in terms of God's approval yes. and shows that our value in God's sight is is from having been made by him. And therefore we we can't undo that. Um mm. so that that would be one thing I'd certainly love to have whispered into my fourteen year old self's ear. Mm. Amen. So how are we doing now? I mean like from your vantage point, what like how are parents and like mentors of kids um in and out of the church, uh, like, what do you see? How, what are we doing well now? Um, and what are we doing poorly, you know, when it comes to, you know, just like teaching kids about integrity, sexual integrity and gender in integrity, I guess, specifically. Yeah, we, we are in such a different world now. Right. And so that the challenges now are totally different to the challenges then. Mm. Um, and so I think for a lot of parents today, there's just it's such a bewildering environment um, because we've got this plethora of, of sexual identities. We've got all the sort of rights language associated with that. Uh, many parents I talk to are, are so um, overwhelmed by what am I? What am I even allowed to say to my kids? How you know what is what has been for, what is forming the moral intuitions of of this new generation is so different to what formed the moral intuitions of those who are parenting them. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like and is a cross-cultural missionary situation, even within in your own family at times. Mm -hmm. So I do hear from a lot of parents who are not just struggling with what their kids are going through in terms of gender identity or angst or any of those things, but are also just like, how do, where do we even begin mm -hmm. to share Christ? So I, I think that's an area where as churches, we we need to do better, not simply at rehearsing that's wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong, but actually giving people giving people the positives. Um, God is so good that he never says no to something without saying a much bigger yes to something else. So whenever he asks us to say no to any particular way of thinking or, or sin, he's inviting us into something better. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if we've been good at kind of putting that sort of message together because the cultural force is so powerfully heading in a certain direction that anything that that contradicts that just sounds like it's harmful and dangerous and and diminishing of of someone and who they are right. so we we've i think we need to do a lot more a lot more thinking and be a bit more creative in how we teach into these things the other thing i would say and i see some churches doing all of these things better than others and you know worse than others the other thing is is making sure the relational quality of our church life is such that a young person growing up in the church doesn't feel like their future happiness rests on their marital status yes. <laughs> because it's one thing for the church to teach what it teaches about marriage and singleness and same-sex relationships and all of those things but if we're not providing healthy forms of, of community and healthy forms of intimacy, then those things that we teach are going to uh, look very implausible. Ah, you just spit in truth, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, given given the 
the way that things have been going, the, the direction things seem to be heading in culturally, and, and kind of this knee-jerk reaction that, that we as parents, as, as mentors, as you know, pastoral mm-hmm. ministry leaders, um, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction seems to be to, to focus on the no. You know, and you said we need to come up with a more, a more compelling, a more robust vision of kind of the yes that that God is inviting us into, and I, I don't know how do you do you have an idea of some of the ways that we can do that? Yes, and and even better, other people smarter than me have have had ideas too. <laughs> so um, I, I I love looking at how different. Christian leaders and teachers and evangelists are, are handling these things. And I, I look at voices like like Tim Keller, or I look at some sort of apologist evangelist friends of mine like Glenn Scrivener, uh, and see some of the ways that they're able to to kind of so put forward the positive that the negatives then sort of become obvious and self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's I've got a few things on my shelf I'm I'm yet to read from other other people who've tried to sort of try to do that but I, I think i mean it's all there in the bible uh and a lot of it's there in in our doctrine of creation um too much of our evangelism has begun in genesis 3 with sin and not enough of it has actually begun in our understanding of what it means to be to be made in god's image yeah. and therefore what god's design is for us why he made us sexual creatures in the first place why he made us male and female what that even means and to, to put forth the positive image in such a way that then helps. So with with something like the difference between men and women, um, it, by the way, someone's cutting grass just outside. They, the neighbor just always seems to know exactly when I'm doing a podcast. And, and that's, so I hope that's not too um, bothersome fine. on the audio. That ha- happens at the radio station here too when we're in our main studio will be right outside anyway sorry i can relate <laughs> probably the same person maybe so maybe some, so. some disgruntled atheist who's <laughs> kind of um yeah I, I was just thinking about god god making us male and female and it, it occurred to me that and this helps us our secular culture is not consistent mm. so when it comes to marriage secular culture says you know male and female it makes no difference right we are functionally interchangeable at that point a, a man man relationship is no different to a man woman relationship and yet when some big corporation is discovered to have a board of only men it's the secular people saying hey that's not right you need a woman in there hmm. and i want to affirm that and say yeah you're absolutely right there are certain things that the presence of more men can't can't give that the presence of a woman can Hmm. and say given that is the case would you not expect that also to be the case in the most intimate human context of marriage Hmm. so trying to use the the areas where our secular culture does actually say something (laughs) i would agree with and then and say actually your own voice is critiquing your position over here Hmm. um and just to say and the reason for that is because god has designed us to need each other as male and female Hmm. uh neither male nor female alone is is sufficient we need each other to 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 better image god together so there's a positive there behind the the sort of all the negatives of why why we only believe in opposite sex marriage why why we don't think gender is a is a plastic thing um and all of those things i just want to highlight something for our listeners right now is 
I hope you're taking note of how, of Sam's tone and his kind way of even looking at a secular person's uh, arguments about men and women and how he's like, well, what about this one? This one actually contradicts. Do you hear how he's not yelling? He's not anxious. He's not having to protect baby Jesus with his anxiety and then masking that with lots of anger. He's just saying, hey, I, I you're modeling for us, Sam, uh, just trusting in a faithful God, putting your faith in a faithful God, and then also modeling Christian hospitality, which in that word is the word hospital, which is a, a rescue, a healing place. So I just want to hmm. take a moment and look at our listeners and say, hey, guys, notice what Sam is modeling for us when we're engaging these conversations with our kids or uh, with those in the church or outside the church. So thanks for that, Sam. Oh, thank you. God, God, is, God is sovereign and he's good. Right. So if, if he's not cranky and he's not worried... <laughs> then I, I don't need to be. Mm. And it helps that I, I come from the UK, so I'm used to being in a secular culture where it feels as though, as though the ba the major cultural forces are not with you. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm just used to that. Yeah. And so that that's more of a, a new experience for many parts of the US church, and I can see why some Christian leaders can freak out a bit at that or, <laughs> or get angry at that. But mm -hmm. I keep coming back to Mark 6, when Jesus sees the lostness of the lost, he has compassion on them right? because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. And then he begins to teach them many things about him. So I figured, okay, he's the one who has the right to be angry, and yet he's he's compassionate to, to lost people. So, so good. I, I, I want to be more like him in that regard. Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I did see a comment or two you gave toward a recent Christianity Today article about pronouns, which the article didn't really take a hard and fast. Do you use preferred pronouns? Do you not? But I really appreciate it, similar to how you're modeling here today, uh, a more nuanced and it seemed like hospitable approach, but I'm sure there's parents listening or friends of parents of kids who identify as trans or wrestling with this pronoun thing. How, what Do you have a hard and fast rule when it comes to pronoun usage? Does it change for who, it, what the age of the person is or the faith of the person is that you're talking to? Um, I, I don't have a hard and fast rule because I, I think this is an issue where the, it's, it's a wisdom issue. Mm -hmm. um, the, the scenarios we could encounter on this can be so wildly different right. that I wouldn't want to say, here's the rule that fits, fits everything. I think it's... Um, more akin to what we see in the book of Proverbs, where we're told in Proverbs 26, answer a fool according to his folly. And then in the next verse, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Right. The other way around. Um, and so there, there are times when actually wisdom would be to run with something in one situation that you wouldn't run with in another. And so I, I don't want to say it's always wrong to use someone's preferred pronouns. And I don't want to say it's always right. But I could see situations in both cases where it might be wise to either use the pronoun or not use the pronoun. Mm -hmm. And one one factor in in sort of thinking that through for me is if the person has any kind of Christian background, if it's someone I'm meeting for the first time who's not a Christian, then I'm I'm more likely to give them a bit more leeway because I want to build up a relationship and a friendship. Um 
and not shut down the possibility of conversation before it's even begun. Um, and you know, I, I do understand the fact that Christians will will land in different places on this. Of course, we will. We've got, we've got to respect each other for that. We've got to allow for each other's consciences on these things. Um, and and similar with uh, with related issues, how how far do you go along with what culture is saying and doing, and and when do you say absolutely not? Um, and one of the biblical figures that's that's been intriguing me on this is Daniel, right? Because mm. Daniel seemed to to go go a long way mm -hmm. before he drew a line, right? Um, even allowing people to give him a pagan name. Mm -hmm. um, so, for those who are sort of saying, well, any kind of accommodation is immediately compromised and unfaithful and sinful. I kind of want to say, well, I. I think he just kicked Daniel out of church. <laughs> now, Daniel did draw a line. Daniel was, was not lacking in boldness. And I even wonder if where Daniel drew the line might even have been arbitrary just because he needed to draw it somewhere. Mm -hmm. But it means my, my advice, particularly to Christians in contexts where they're under the authority of other people, like the workplace or, or at school or, or things like that, where things are very, very progressive, my, my advice is be like Daniel. Be someone who is generally of a compliant and submissive nature, um, but also make sure you have a red line so that those in authority over you know they don't own you. Um, and where we draw that red line will vary from person to person. So some people it might be with, do I give my preferred pronouns on, on my email account or not? Right. Do I do this? Do I do that? But um, I, I do think we, we, we want to show that we are compliant by and large because we believe in being submissive to authority. Mm -hmm. um, but we also believe that we're ultimately submissive to the highest authority and therefore our submission to workplace to government to all these other things is contingent and and bounded by our our deeper loyalty to the lord do you have i'm this just keeps coming to mind because i get asked this a lot i'm sure you do too but for a parent who has a i don't know 12 13 14 year old kid who it seems more experimental than like genuine gender dysphoria do you have any recommendations for the parents as far as do you go along with that or parents or youth leaders? Do you use the preferred mm. pronouns? So this is Christian family, maybe professing or not professing in that moment, teenager or teenager, and they're wanting their parents to use the preferred pronouns. I run into this a lot of times. What are your thoughts on mm. that? Yeah, the short answer is that I don't know because I don't know the kid and right. I don't know the family dynamics and a thousand other things right. that would inform what I would what I would do. Um but certainly there is a you know a huge amount of identifying as non-binary isn't because of someone genuinely wrestling with whether they're a man or a woman. It's simply because there's so much confusion, so much cultural pressure. It's the kind of thing you can identify as and mean it, even if you're not wrestling with your identity, just because it's it's fashionable. Mm -hmm. Um so that that really does confuse things a huge amount. It sure um, is. And we we know that 
Theologically, we know that law doesn't change hearts. So simply mm. slapping down some parental rules of you're not allowed to say that, you're not allowed to think that, you're not allowed to do that, isn't actually going to solve the issue. It might manage it in the short term, but the issue is the child's heart and what's going on in the child's heart. And that might be fear of man. That might be a sense of, I don't know who I am, so I don't want to say anything in particular that might might be too defining of who I am. Um, it might be any number of things. So I'd, I'd want to try and get underneath what is what is going on mm. that, that's led to this and, and try and work with that. And not, and not freak out. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, I'm thinking about um, our listeners today. Uh, they're tracking with this conversation and um, appreciate your perspective, but maybe could use just a little dose of hope right now. <laughs> where do you like, where do you have hope right now as you look at like the cultural stuff about sexuality and gender or just, just the church? Like yeah. where are you feeling hopeful right now in, in any of those spaces? Yeah. I, the, the key thing is the, the gospel remains the power of God. Mm-hmm. So, it may for us feel like this is a this is a new cultural moment. These are uncharted waters. We haven't seen this kind of stuff before, and we haven't, and that's fine. Um, and we want to do our best to understand it. So we don't want to sort of put our heads in the sand. But at the same time, God is still sovereign, and uh, He's not dependent on our ingenuity to save people. Mm-hmm. Um, he's called us to be faithful. We're called to be good neighbors. We're good, called to be faithful in, in what we proclaim and what we teach. And the gospel will, will bear fruit. And I, I don't want to be a Christian in any other time than right now in the Western world. I think it's a great time to be a Christian. Um, our, our culture is so confused. It's so imperious, but it's so confused, so lonely, so anxious. And I think we we have the privilege of of bringing to a lonely, anxious culture the the invitation of Christ to find rest in Him. Um, and we've got to think a bit more carefully about how we do that. And, and simply, well, this worked on me thirty years ago, so I'll I'll say the same thing now. That that's not going to work. We need to think about how we articulate things in a way that this generation will understand. But. I'm, I'm expecting the gospel to bear fruit. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Yep. And I was, it took me a very, very long time to realize that a gate is not a weapon. Mm. So when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail, he's not saying, don't worry, the church will just hang in there and withstand all the attacks of the devil. He's saying, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to build it with people that are being you know, um, what's the word? Looted hmm. from the kingdom of darkness, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Hmm. So that means we we don't just go into defensive mode and and try to survive. We we go on the spiritual offensive, yeah. knowing that Christ is going to build His church hmm. with people from this generation. Um, and I I love. I was recently just rereading Paul's conversion in, in the book of Acts and just thinking, you know, some of the voices that feel the most anti-Christian right now could be some of the most significant voices in the kingdom of God yeah. in the generations to come. Because mm. that's that's what God does. That's how this works. We may get our heads kicked in a bit more than previous generations as Christians, but that's okay. 
Um, it's it's the growth of the gospel that we're interested in. So good, Amen. Sam. Yes. yes. Thank you. That is very good. <laughs> I, and I think you talked about Daniel, you know, and like he was living in a thoroughly anti, well, anti-Jewish, but um, anti-God society. And yet he prevailed through the power of, of God. Um, and so, I don't know, to me, that's encouraging, but I also know that I, unlike Daniel, I, I have flaws that come out every day, you know, and Daniel's one of those few in the Bible that you don't hear many flaws about his character and everything. And, and I know none of us have been perfectly living, you know, in, in alignment with God, whether they're a pastor, youth pastor, parent, teacher, coach, anything. You know, and, and I guess what can you say to the people who have maybe freaked out a little bit and made some mistakes? Yeah, who of us hasn't? Yeah. Um, and Jesus only uses imperfect people. Um, we've got no one else to, to, to use. So <laughs> let's, let's acknowledge that. It's healthy to acknowledge it yeah. um, and not excuse it or just ignore it. But we don't need to worry about it. We just bring our, as we recognize our imperfections, as we recognize, oh, I should have said something totally different in that conversation. As we have those moments, we think, okay, bring it to the Lord. Um, there's there's always more grace for us. And try and do better next time in the power of the Spirit and know that, okay, I, I can still be used by God. Mm. Um we don't need to be perfect. Um, we should be repentant. Um, and repentance itself always beautifies the gospel, uh, whether repenting between us and the Lord or whether we're repenting to some non-Christian friend we said something in, insensitive to or, or crass to in a previous conversation. Um, let's just be real Christians. Uh, we don't have to be perfect Christians to be real Christians. Mm. Um and every single person God has used in any powerful way has been someone with with very deep flaws who who made a ton of mistakes in the process. Ah, uh, Sam, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so edifying, and I just the phrase like gracious and seasoned with salt. I just that's what you exude is conversations that are both gracious and seasoned with salt. So thank you so much for. Um, being a part of this podcast today. It's a pleasure. It's always fun chatting to you guys. Thanks for thanks for having me back. Yeah, we'll we'll see if we can make it a four Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come all right. Everybody. God bless you. All right, guys. I'm I'm assuming you all listening and you guys around the table enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, we will link to God's signpost, how marriage points us to God's love, and then be looking out in January for part two. Uh, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to literally Google our names together, Sam Alberry and Lori Creek, to see if we did how many episodes we did. Right. And I'll post links to those <laughs> there too. Uh, that Christianity Today article um, where Sam actually does talk about some of the questions related to Daniel. But guys, sitting next to me, um, what from the conversation we just had, what's like still singing in your soul? Let's start with you, Steve. So much, but I think um, I really appreciated uh, the emphasis uh, that it sounds like is in this book mm -hmm. of uh, focusing on the positives and how marriage is a promise, a covenant. And uh, since I've had 
31 of them the anniversaries Aww. or maybe even more significant than the wedding that was beautiful wasn't yeah, it yeah yeah i really appreciated that oh yeah matt what about you yeah i i think the the encouraging thing was you know talking with sam coming from britain where he's just saying i'm used to this culture mm. <laughs> yeah. like this 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 angst that we're feeling now of is really the shift from a a place of of kind of power to a place where we are we're no longer in that right. kind of authority seat you know culturally and and so like the fact that you can you can get used to it you can kind of acclimate to it and and you know just listening to the tone of his voice and how calm and kind of composed he is like the that that's i guess comforting to me that okay not everything is darkness and bleak mm. you know and and there there can be kind of a i don't know a a reset <laughs> as far as like how we interact with the world where it's it's something that we won't always be in this freak out stage <laughs> yeah. yeah we don't have to panic because of what we're losing like mm -hmm. it's okay yeah even how he's like you know, we might get our heads beat in a little bit more, but he's like, it's okay. And I was like, it's true. Mm. It really is true. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're promised here. I really liked his uh, nuanced conversation around pronouns, which that's what I read in that CT article, uh, which was the cover story of this last month. Um, because I have found the longer I've been in this conversation, the less aggressive I am when it comes, especially to pronouns. I used to be like, well, just use them. It's practicing hospitality. But then I'm like... I just have grace. I just have grace because I think God has grace that this is a wisdom issue. Okay, guys, we do have a question of the week for next time. This one is not, doesn't take a paragraph to explain, which praise. All right. <laughs> what's your nickname? What's your nickname, guys? And how did you get it? I have several. My old, my, so I'm the ninth of 12 kids. And my sixth oldest sister, Susie. Susie, I'm going to send you this episode so you listen to this. <laughs> she would call me anything that started with the letter L. Specifically, Lenora, Lenben, Lenny. Those were the classics. Hmm. Come here, Lenny. And I would answer to it because I love Susie. <laughs> what about you, Matt? I, I mean, the easy one is when you just call me Krieg. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because that's my last name. Also mine. Um, so I was born that way. For some reason. <laughs> um, the other one from, from childhood, my mom would call me Matman. And then oh, she would sing mom. the Batman theme song. And, you know, da -na 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 -na. and so then Matman. And I'm pretty sure that's self-explanatory how that came about. Cute. That is awesome. You got one, Steve? Yeah, it's pretty basic. It's Steve-O. Oh yeah, uh, I I mean like there and there are a couple of famous Stevos, but I'm the original Stevo. Uh, really? In high school, I had an English teacher. There were two Steves in the class, and so I always signed my papers and tests. Steve O. So she knows which is which. And then one day, uh, I she called on me, and she goes Stevo, and like all the. All my classmates <gasps> laughed. They're like, <laughs> and she's like, As what? high schoolers laugh only exactly. like that. Right. She goes, what? That's how he signs his things. And so then everybody started calling me Steve-O. Oh, so. Steve-O G. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, guys. That's it for us today. I want to thank Sam Alberry again for being such an awesome guest and joining us on this podcast. Thank you to WCSG Radio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you to the Zach of All Trades who's running the cameras and his amazing intern, Delaney. And for all of us here, thank you guys for being a part of this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Bye.